From the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, floppy iris syndrome and its associations. Which consists of a floppy iris that undulates in response to ordinary fluid currents, repeated prolapse of the iris, and progressive intraoperative constriction of the pupil uh, intraoperatively during cataract surgery. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Chada declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. Did you know that you can get every episode of As Seen From Here as soon as it comes out and without ever having to visit a website? It's called subscribing and it's free. Each week, subscribers get As Seen From Here automatically loaded onto their iPods, MP3 players, and computers by using a program called a podcatcher. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the How Do I Listen button. Subscribing only takes a minute. Free podcatchers are available for Windows, Macintosh, and Linux computers. I put links to download an excellent podcatcher on the How Do I Listen page of asseenfromhere.com. Then, within hours of my podcasting an episode, you'll have it too. Not every preoperative patient dilates well, but you're an adept cataract surgeon and small pupils don't frighten you. But did you remember to ask if the patient is on Tamsulosin, marketed in the U.S. as Flomax? That small pupil may be the least of your problems. Intraoperative floppy iris syndrome is a newly recognized problem and one for which all cataract surgeons need to be prepared. To prepare us, I have Vikas Chada as my guest today. He's just published results from a recent study on intraoperative floppy iris syndrome and its associations. What is floppy iris syndrome? A floppy iris syndrome is a, a new small pupil syndrome described by Chang and Campbell, which consists of a floppy iris that undulates in response to ordinary fluid currents, repeated prolapse of the iris, and progressive intraoperative constriction of the pupil uh, intraoperatively during cataract surgery. And that's the original definition that Chang and Campbell gave. When was this first recognized? Uh, this was first published in a paper uh, by Chang and Campbell, I believe, in April 2005. It was reported a wee bit earlier when there were reports about the paper, and, and um, I think the authors themselves uh, had reports on the net. So we knew about it a few months before that, but it was actually published in April 2005. What are the known associations with intraoperative floppy iris syndrome? Uh, the way it was originally described, the floppy iris syndrome was described in patients who were on tamsulosin, which is an alpha-1A blocker uh, used for urinary retention symptoms and lower urinary tract symptoms. Since then, of course, there's been a lot of debate about other alpha blockers being responsible for the syndrome and various other systemic illnesses as well that may be associated with it. Tamsulosin is marketed in the U.S. as Flomax, what are some of the other alpha-1 blockers? Uh, the other alpha-1 blockers are uh, doxazosin, terazosin, and alfuzosin, uh, alfuzosin being the newest one. They've all, I believe at the moment, tamsulosin is the most popular alpha blocker for lower urinary tract symptoms. 
both in the US and in the UK. Can I have you describe the design of your study? Our study, uh, we enrolled all the patients that were undergoing sacral emulsification at two hospitals that I work in, uh, in and around Edinburgh from uh, certain periods in 2005 and 2006. We then had a study design whereby prospectively we noted whether the patients were on any alpha blockers at all, the duration of therapy if they were, and the presence or absence of diabetes. In the second stage, the surgeons themselves are masked to the drug history of the patient, and all the surgeons were asked to note if any of the features of the floppy iris syndrome were present in any of the patients. So we had these two stages of data collection, which was then collated onto a spreadsheet and came to our final results. Now, the surgeons determined this intraoperatively based upon the, the, the diagnostic criteria that, 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 you, that you mentioned at the start of this interview. Um, that's right. Our diagnostic criteria were a, were a bit more liberal, and I can come to that a wee bit later. But yes, we gave them three specific criteria to look for. We defined that, put that up in the theater, and every case they made sure that if any of those features were present, they'll fill in a data sheet for that. How large was your study population? Uh, we finally had data from 1,842 eyes of 1,786 patients. Now, of this very large population, how many patients were on alpha-1 blockers and, and on which alpha-1 blockers? We found that 72 patients were on alpha blockers, so that's about 4% of the population, and of those, 20 were, 21 were on tamsulosin, so that's 1.2% of the population. So the majority of the group was actually on doxazosin. What were your results from this study? Um, well, we found that of the one the, the group that um, was on tamsulosin, about 57% of the patients uh, manifested some signs of the floppy iris syndrome. Now, about half of them did not exhibit all the signs, and we defined floppy iris syndrome as complete and incomplete. So half of them manifested the complete syndrome, and the incomplete syndrome was manifested by the other half. We also found, surprisingly, that in the non-tamsulosin group, there were a lot of patients who manifested signs that were of the floppy iris syndrome or similar to the floppy iris syndrome. As far as other alpha blockers was concerned, our largest group was doxazosin, and there we found that of 50 patients, there was only one who had incomplete features of the floppy iris syndrome, so that wasn't statistically significant. In terms of diabetes, again, we had a large population, about 14% of our patients were diabetics, and there was only three of them who manifested features of the floppy iris syndrome, and that was, again, not statistically significant. What constitutes an incomplete floppy iris syndrome? Well, the way we defined incomplete floppy iris syndrome was the patient having a floppy iris with one of the other two features. And the complete floppy iris syndrome was having all the three features. And the reason we, we thought that this was the correct definition was that even in the original paper, um, Chang and Campbell accept that iris prolapse and a small pupil both can have multiple causes. And they say that it's the floppy iris which actually identifies this particular syndrome. So we thought if we're going to talk about floppy iris syndrome, the floppy iris has to be the essential feature. Had the tamsulosin patients with intraoperative floppy iris syndrome been on tamsulosin longer than those patients who did not demonstrate signs of the syndrome? 
Uh, we did find that, yes. I mean, the mean was 26 months in uh, the tantalosin patients and uh, uh, having IFIs, and the tantalosin patients who did not have any signs was 19.7 months, but we did not find this to be statistically significant. I think we'll need much larger numbers to actually reach a conclusion on this aspect. Were there other distinguishing characteristics of the tantalosin intraoperative floppy iris syndrome patients that, that, that distinguished them from the, the tamsulosin patients that, that did not manifest signs of the syndrome. I'm thinking of things like diabetes or, or the iris color or myopia. Yeah, we, we did not look at iris color, but of the non-tamsulosin uh, group, we had floppy iris syndrome present in, in a large number of patients. Of them, there were three myopes. Two of them had the complete syndrome and one was incomplete. Now, this we didn't study prospectively, so it's really difficult to comment because we don't know about the rest of the group. In terms of diabetes, we had one diabetic manifesting the complete syndrome and two of them the incomplete syndrome. Then we had one patient where, um, who had been on pilocarpine and he manifested incomplete floppy iris syndrome. And there was another patient where the interoperative notes clearly said that there was a poor wound construction uh, that would have uh, inevitably led to iris prolapse and manifested as incomplete IFIS. For those patients who were not on tamsulosin but demonstrated intraoperative floppy iris syndrome, was diabetes an independent risk factor for intraoperative floppy iris syndrome? No, it wasn't. Um, Fortunately, none of the patients who were on tamsulosin were diabetic, so that simplified the picture a wee bit. In terms of, as I said, there was only three diabetics who manifested the floppy iris syndrome. The rest of the patients did not manifest the floppy iris syndrome, and the entire tamsulosin group belonged to the non-diabetic group as well, so diabetes was not an independent factor. Did, did you see more surgical complications in your series in patients with intraoperative floppy iris syndrome? Um, of the patients with floppy iris syndrome, we had only one patient who had a complication, a posterior capsular rupture uh, with vitreous loss, and uh, he, I believe, had a postoperative visual acuity at about one month of six by nine, or eight weeks postoperative six by nine, and the rest of the patients didn't have any complication at all. But clearly, it's it's more surgically challenging to manage someone. Uh, with the syndrome than, than someone who, who does not have it? It is indeed. I think that is definitely sort of one um, drawback of our study in terms of um, the, the surgeons are completely masked to the drug history. Uh, we also did not break down the patients operated into uh, patients operated by very experienced surgeons or less experienced surgeons. So yes, I, I think floppy iris syndrome definitely is something that should be reserved for experienced surgeons because of the potential problems that it may cause. Having said that, um, uh, as far as we, uh, we think at the moment, um, if a, a surgeon is aware of the chances of a patient getting floppy iris syndrome, the surgery can in most cases be completed safely without any significant complications. If the syndrome was incomplete, uh, how, how did those patients fare surgically? Uh, the, the one complication was only in the complete floppy iris syndrome. The incomplete group did not have any complication at all. Um, again, because there's only one patient who had the complication, we can't really draw significant conclusions out of this group. 
but I think that is also the finding of another study uh, which says that once it's, uh, the Ploppyaris syndrome is partial, the, the incidence of complications is much lower. Now, is there any evidence that discontinuing tamsulosin is beneficial uh, with respect to resolution of aspects of the syndrome? At the moment, no. Um, there's, there's lots of talk about discontinuing uh, tamsulosin either a week before or some have suggested few weeks before surgery. Um, but there's no evidence as of now that stopping tamsulosin can prevent or even decrease the severity of floppy iris syndrome. We've seen, we've seen patients reported who have been off tamsulosin for a year uh, and also patients who've just recently started tamsulosin, both having manifested floppy iris syndrome. So we, we don't think that discontinuing tamsulosin uh, can result in a decrease in severity of IFS based on the current evidence that we have. How do you manage these patients surgically? Floppy iris syndrome is, is certainly a challenging um, intraoperative problem. There's various measures described at the moment, and they range from the use of iris hooks and pupil expanders to the use of um, agents such as Helon 5. Uh, in terms of pharmacological intervention, the use of preoperative atropine has recently been shown to be very effective. This is a study published in the Journal of Cataract Refractive Surgery in the October issue, and they found 16 eyes uh, in which they used preoperative atropine, and only three of them needed any further measures. So that sounds very encouraging. Personally, we find the use of intracameral phenylephrine very useful in the dilution of 1 is to 5, we use that intraoperatively if we anticipate a problem. We find that very, very useful indeed. Of course, um, I think there are, there are still studies to be done, and I'm eagerly awaiting the results of a multicentric trials from the U.S., which, is, which talks about various forms of intervention in the syndrome. Now, what do you think is going on physiologically in these patients? Um, the theory that, that Chang and Campbell originally gave, whereby tamsulosin, which is a selective alpha-1A receptor blocker, is uh, theorized to go and block the alpha-1A receptors in the iris dilator muscle, does, does sound very logical. Uh, we know from various animal studies that alpha-1A receptors are the predominant receptors in the iris dilator muscle, and it's very much possible that tamsulosin antagonizes these receptors and results in disuse atrophy of the iris, which finally manifests intraoperatively as these features of the floppy iris syndrome. Why do these patients get progressive pupil constriction during surgery? Uh, the progressive pupillary constriction is really related to the intraoperative prostaglandin release because as the surgery progresses, we know that there would have been disuse atrophy of the iris, the iris would be more floppy and there would be undoubtedly a higher increase, a larger release of prostaglandins intraoperatively as the surgery progresses and this causes further meiosis. Having learned what, what you've learned from, from this study, what do you do in your own practice? In our own practice at the moment, um, what we've started doing is highlighting all the patients who are on tamsulosin or any other alpha blockers on our theater list. Now, I, I work in a teaching hospital which has many surgeons, and um, essentially this goes through the waiting list office because when the patients are assessed preoperatively, we've got a checklist and we've added the use of alpha blockers in there so that it's highlighted on the theater list. Uh, in terms of the actual intervention uh, intraoperatively, that's pretty much left to the, the surgeon operating. I've personally had only two patients since the end of this study who've had floppy iris syndrome and have 
used uh, intracranial fenlift in both of them, uh, and I found it really, really useful. Uh, I use it in a sort of one in five dilution uh, with a 0.25 mils of 2.5% fenlift in minims diluted with one mil of PSS. Um, I inject it intracambrally and then I'll leave it for about 30 to 40 seconds and then I wash it out and I, I found it really useful in both the cases that I've uh, managed in the last six months. Because is there anything you'd like to add? Um, yeah, I think I, I want to highlight two important things that I feel came out of our study. Uh, one was that we found doxazosin was not associated with the syndrome. That lends more credence to the theory that the selective alpha-1A blockage is probably the mechanism by which the floppy eye syndrome is caused. Having said that, we've had a significant number of patients who were not on any alpha blockers and manifested the floppy eye syndrome. So undoubtedly, there are other factors, pharmacological, ocular, systemic, we don't know yet. There are certainly other factors that may contribute to these features, either in part or in total. Are there findings that we can see preoperatively in the lane that can tip us off that a patient's going to have this syndrome intraoperatively? Uh, well, I suppose the most obvious one is if the patient does not dilate well during preoperative examination, that should just make you suspicious straight away. But that's not something new. That's something that we would always, uh, you know, keep bear in mind uh, at the time of preoperative assessment anyway. I have in a few patients tried to look at the iris very carefully and see if there are any features I can identify, and I, I really don't uh, have much information on that yet. I don't see any features in the few patients that I've tried um, to look at. I wonder if it's something that can be looked at in the future to compare a group of patients on tamsulosin and those not on tamsulosin and compare their IDDs to see if there are any specific things that we can pick out. Vikas, thank you so much. Not at all, not at all. Vikas Chada is Specialist Registrar at the Princess Alexandra Eye Pavilion in Edinburgh, Great Britain. His paper, Floppy Iris Behavior During Cataract Surgery, Associations and Variations, is in press in the British Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Chada or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the new media project of the NYU School of Medicine and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.